before you again. And as our thoughts go back to that day, the chaos, the destruction, the loss of life. We pray for those who are directly impacted at those events. And Father, our nation has been ever changed by that day. We continue to lift up our president, our Congress, the state legislator here in the state of Texas. Father, we pray that you would continue to put godly men and women around them to guide them, that you grant them wisdom and discernment. And Father, for all of us, I pray, dear God, this your peace will envelop us right now. That we'll feel your strong arms of love and peace wrap around us and draw us close to your side. Continue to speak to us, O oh God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's been 18 years since September 11th of 2001. And there are still some lingering effects of that day that have not dissipated. For example, we have a continued military presence in the country of Afghanistan. The Taliban red government refused to give up a suspected terrorist leader. In response, the United States bombed Afghanistan in October. And by November 2001, an alliance, northern alliance, was formed of other countries to come alongside of us. And in 2017, President Trump, President Trump, President Trump was going to raise the troop level from 3,000 to 14,000. Another lingering effect that we have of that day is the Department of Homeland Security. It was created 11 days after the attacks. It's responsible for anti-terrorism tasks, national security. It's a major influence on our national security and terrorism prevention up to this day. And if you've been to the airport recently, you know airport security is also stricter because of those days, because of that day. The Transport Transportation Security Administration was created. New technology has evolved to help them find restricted articles quicker and easier. And also the cockpit doors on airplanes now have been reinforced to protect the pilots while they're flying the aircraft. Now there's more that can be said about all these effects, and I would encourage you one time if you you have access to the web, just hit the effects of 9-11, hit enter. There's people still suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome. A lot of things are still happening because of that one day. However, there's one thing I want to get to this morning that perhaps is more influential and powerful than all those because this happened to all of us. It doesn't matter if we were directly impacted. All of us were indirectly impacted by those events. It's the feelings of anxiety and vulnerability. See, our safety and our comfort as a nation was threatened that day. This event had, and still does to some degree, test our religious beliefs. What we believe about God? What do we believe about the world? A lot on that day, if you remember, after following the day of 9-11, a lot of churches were filled, a lot of people seeking spirituality. But it still has that effect on people's beliefs. Perhaps the greatest question of all, what is the meaning of life? 
And for me, for many, the meaning of life is derived from earthly accomplishments. We tend to see those who are rich or in, in sports athletes, famous actors and actresses. We see them as having lived a valuable or meaningful life. However, not 11 taught us one thing, if not anything, and that's all that can be taken away in an instant. Do you think any of those people went to work that day in the Pentagon, in the Trun Towers, or in the United Flight thought, this is it? I'll never go home. I'll never see my loved ones again. I would tell you this morning that we need to live with that anticipation that the Lord can come back at any time. Anytime we could be called home, we always, always have to be ready. Therefore, we're going to look at Scripture this morning to see what it has to say about the subject, the meaning of life. In this passage, we're going to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Vanity, a life without God. The passage is kind of... Monday, say, kind of dark and gloomy when you kind of read through it. But bear with me as you walk through this passage. Because he makes some interesting observations. And they're as true back then as they are today. Let's look at the text together. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute fertility, says the teacher. Absolute fertility. Everything is futile. What does a man gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting. It returns to its place where it rises. Gusting to the south. Turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place. And forgive me for a moment because I'm having problems with this. All things are wearisome, verse 8. Man is not able to tell it, or able to speak, or cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done, so there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, is it new? Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There's no remembrance of earlier things and also of later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. So backing up to verse 1, the words of the preacher, some translations may render that teacher instead of preacher. The words of the preacher, the son of David King in Jerusalem. Now the precise meaning of that Hebrew word that's translated preacher is somewhat uncertain. It could be plainly a speaker in the assembly. The point is that Solomon is not talking or addressing them as a king. He's addressing them as a teacher. So these are more like lessons or observations, not 
decrees from the king. And we can see with this verse and verse 12 that Solomon is the author. Now, King Solomon, you mean anything about King Solomon, David's son? We see that in the text. Solomon was wise. And in fact, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, God asked him what he want, and King Solomon says, I want wisdom. So he's known as probably one of the wisest kings Israel has ever had. And I want you for a moment just to stop, and I want you to picture him. Imagine uh, this king sitting on his bed, maybe sitting under the tree, contemplating the meaning of life, contemplating what he sees being played out. He was not only the son of David, but he had built that glorious temple. And when he told God, asked him what he wanted, he wanted wisdom. And it's amazing to me, out of all his outstanding accomplishments that he had done up to that point, he began to question whether the value of his life was dependent on what he had done. Would the essence of his being be known to future generations? Would being a great king, temple builder, and a wise person tell future generations of his likes and dislikes, his worries, his times of rejoicing, foods he liked to eat? How long would the temple last and how long would Israel remember that it was dedicated to the Lord? For that matter, how long would Israel keep referring to God and, and giving, worshiping God and following God? These are all questions that were pondering him in this moment. In spite of all that he's done, he's sitting back going, What is it really all about? Vanity of vanities. That's the New American Standard Translation. All is vanity. Boy, oh boy, what a way to set the theme of the entire book. Everything is meaningless. The Hebrew word used there means vapor or breath. It can combine the notions of being insubstantial, fleeting, or temporary. For example, in Psalms 144, verse 4, man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Now, the closest English word I can come to that, that gets its meaning is vapid or dull or vain. That doesn't capture the full range of that Hebrew word because it can also refer to things that are deceitful or ineffectual, especially when they're talking about false gods. It's used in Jeremiah 16, verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, and my refuge in the days of distress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our Father have inherited nothing but falsehood. There is the word futility is translated there, and things of no profit. So it's really kind of hard to put one word In the English, what that whole Hebrew word encompasses is what I'm trying to say. Now, what he's not saying is that pleasures are strictly absurd, or even primarily that they're even fleeting, brief, momentary, or short-lived. What he is saying is, is that it's all a waste of time because they fail to satisfy Everything is fleeting. Everything is temporary. Nothing has any lasting value. And people are trapped up in the absurd. They're pursuing empty pleasures that can never satisfy. And they're building their lives on lies. Think about that for them. Think of what you're bombarded with day in and day out. Buy this. Do this. Do that. Do this. But all these things fail to satisfy. 
They can't find any lasting comfort with those things. And this is what he's looking at. And the following verses is a prophetic, uh, a poetic picture of the structure of the world. It depicts the human situation as a, just like almost like a prison, a, a dull, mundane prison. We're caught in this circular thing. We go over and over and over again. Look what he says first. He's serious of questions. What advantage does a man have in all his works, which he does under the sun? After a, a life of hard labor, no one can show a net gain. Birth and death are two ends of a life, the spectrum of life, and none of us in this room have control over them. There is two great variables in this room that we have no control over. More than that, but I'm going to focus on these two. Number one, none of us in this room know when we're going to physically die from this earth. I hope to be around a little bit longer, but I don't know. Number two, I do not know, and you do not know, no one knows when Christ is going to return. It could happen five minutes from now, ten minutes from now, next week, three. Who knows? I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else, but it amazes me how much we run around thinking that we're in control of things. The reality is we're not. We have no control over anything. Now, I think you should take care of your body and things like that, but how much control do we really have? We can't even predict the weather. They think like they do. They do. I mean, not much here in August. In, in te- well, last month in August in Texas, come out to everybody. It's hot and sticky. It's going to be hot and sticky tomorrow. But we can't predict it. So what, what does it all mean? I, I go out there and I work and I work and I work and I work. I was going to say this morning, but it reminded me before I gave my life to Christ. I remember reading a paper. It was a paper put out by the company I worked for, and on the back it had. In memory of, and it, what struck me is these guys had 55 years, 50 years, 45 years, 40 years with the company. Going in and working and making money and putting things back. And then they retired and within two years they're gone. I'm thinking, what's the point? You spend all that time working and laboring, working and laboring, and you finally get to retire and you're gone. What's the point? That's what he's getting at here. Look what he says next. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The brief, temporary, fleeting nature of human generations is contracted with the permeance or the, the apparent permeance of the earth. The earth remains forever. Now, we know that one day this earth is going to pass away. We see that in the book of Revelation. But here's what he's getting at. No one has changed the course of nature. Like ants on a rock, we'll leave no trace of having been here. The birth of one generation, the passing of the next, is this nature cycle going through. Or as Disney put it in The Lion King, the circle of life. It amazes me. And bear with me. You go to a, a cemetery and, and you see these monuments and you have a name, a birth date, and the day they pass away. And then that dash. A small little dash to represent Everything that person ever did. And when you pass away, your family remembers you, but after so many generations, even they won't remember you. And we spend all this time, even, even people I know who are famous, my kids have no idea who that is. You guys may know movie stars back in the day, I don't know who they are. See how that stuff is just fleeting? 
I mean, you go to, well, if they're a real fan of the NFL, they can probably who won the Super Bowl. But I'd ask you who won the Super Bowl five years ago. You probably won't be able to tell me. It's fleeting. It's temporary. Look what he says next. The sun rises and the sun sets. The New American Standard says hastening. Translation is not read up. says panting. The cycle of rising and setting. And that word literally means panting in the Hebrew. So as the sun rises and it sets, it runs back hurriedly, get back to where it started from and does it again. It's, it's like a, a runner on a racetrack, endlessly circling the racetrack, round and around and around it goes. The wind continues swirling along on a circular course as the wind returns. As the movement of the sun implies east and west, now the wind is moving north and south. That swirling along, that round and round, heightens the sense of this tedious, purposeless thing that the wind is doing. Look what he knows is next. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. The sense of accomplishing nothing. Now, he's not necessarily talking about what we know today as evaporation and rainfall, but he's talking about, look at the, at the rivers. They keep flowing into the sea, but the sea never gets full. There's no, there's no purpose to what they're doing. If you just sit back and look at it, what is this all about? And as you look at these verses 3 through 7, they profoundly impress certain sensations. First is the sense of the indifference of the universe to our presence. He makes the point, hey, it was here before we got here. It'll be here when we leave. The universe is trapped in a cycle of a meaningless motion. It's forever moving but accomplishing nothing. And a sense of loneliness and abandonment pervade that text. Can you see it? He's almost like, he's like what is all? I don't understand what it's all about. As I observe all these things around me, please someone tell me. That this life has meaning and purpose. I think that's what our society, our country is crying out for now. They want meaning. They want purpose. 9-11 jarred us a little bit. And kind of remind us back what the true meaning of life was. But like we're so guilty of doing, as time goes on, we just kind of forget Look what he says. All, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. Now, it's interesting. You go back to up to chapter eight, verse one. He says the task of the wise is to know the explanation of things. They are to put wisdom exactly in the right words. They, the wise individual can control his or her tongue. Therefore, what they say is important. What they say should be heeded. Now you look in chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, you'll see the fool, on the other hand, multiplies his words, but really says nothing. <laughs> Forgive me for what I'm about to say. Kind of reminds you of a lot of politicians. They say a lot, but they don't say nothing at all. Please answer the question. And they ramble on with a bunch of things that even answer the question. Therefore, the fool commits the supreme folly of babbling on before God. And it's significant here that with all that said, that Solomon says no one can explain this. Not even the wise can explain what I see going on. No one can speak meaningful or to or about the world. No one can explain it, influence it, or control it. Humanity, with all its intellectual investigation, must accept life and death, the coming and going of generations in this world, as unexplained and inexplicably given. There's no escaping it. And language. 
Perhaps the greatest gift given to mankind is of no advantage because you can't even try to explain it. You can't. And this is the quandrum he sees himself in. Look, he goes, the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. The eye cannot be satisfied, not even by wealth. And the ear is not filled with hearing means that no matter no amount of learning can answer people's needs. People keenly feel this sensation of deficiency. The resources of human reasoning leave humanity facing a blank wall. Human reason can only get you so far. But it cannot answer that question. Can't even believe, you can't even attempt to address it. And do you have that summation? There is nothing new under the sun. These words, are not contradic- these words are not contradicted by technological advances, by the fact we can remember names of famous people, although, like I said earlier, that may be limited generation to generation. I managed, I went and some asked some kids today, who's Julie Garland? Would they know she played Dorothy in Wizard of Oz? Probably not. See how, you see how that goes? And we have forgotten some of the heroes of our faith. If I went out in the street and said, how many people are Christians? Give them that. And say, who was Stephen? How many people were able to tell who Stephen was? Stephen was the first mortar. Or better yet, who was Mary? Who was Noah? And I, 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 seriously, I really encourage you, go looking on some of the Barner research and Gallup polls, how people answer these questions. The fundamental events of birth, work, death remains unchanged. There's desire for something new is desire for something that alters a nature of life in the world. Cars and computers may have made some things easier and faster. However, it's just like it was back in Solomon's day. The sun rises and it sets. The rivers run their courses and people continue to continue in the endless quest for fame, power, and happiness, even as they speed towards death. The majority of people never achieve lasting fame, and while those who actually achieve it gain nothing by it. That's kind of a dark way of looking at the world, but it's true. Look at the world around you. So here we are. Now, the events of September 11th, 2001, were traumatic, shocking, disturbing, and painful. But they served, even though for a brief time, as a wake-up call to turn our eyes from the temporal and look up to the eternal. No matter how much effort we put into sowing and reaping, our success is not guaranteed because we do not fully understand, nor we can control the universe around us. I think in some form or fashion, 9-11 reminds us about the truth that we find in Ecclesiastes. That the meaning of life is not found in temporal achievements. The meaning of life. To have true meaning of life is to live your life the way God created you to live it.
to accomplish what he's created you to do. That's when you find meaning. That's when you find value. And that's when you're truly satisfied. Because only God can satisfy the soul. We spend so much of our time chasing all these things. When God stands there and says, come to me. The endless cyclical nature of this world means that no person can break out of this temporal circle into a state that leads somewhere else. The wind continues to blow. The streams flow into the sea. One generation to the next, regardless of what we do. We can't control the laws of nature. Only God can do that. This is not a contradiction of the gospel, dearly beloved. This is a call for the gospel. Because there's only one person who can come in and break you out of that, that temporal and that, that, that circular of notion that you're going in. There's only one person who can do that. Somebody who came from heaven and broke that once and for all. You see, this, this text tells us that the world is a slave. It's enslaved. It's under bondage. Only one person can bust you out of that bondage, and his name is Jesus Christ. You can chase all these other things out there. The world is promising something they can never deliver. They promise you happiness. They promise you satisfaction. They promise you all these things. But at the end of the day, they cannot do it. Look at some of our celebrities. Many of them committing suicide, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Why? Because they've chased what the world told them to chase. And when they finally got it, it did not satisfy what they were longing for, true meaning and value in life. I like what Proverbs says. Charm is to see if you're in beauty is vain, but the woman who praises the Lord, she will be, she's worth her weight in joy. That's what's the value of life. It disturbs me that we have cheapened human life in our country. We're, we're killing each other without even thinking about it. But we have meaning and purpose in this life because we are created in the image of God. Look at the creation story. He speaks everything into existence, but it comes to making man. He says, let us make man in our image. And he took the dust of the ground, and with his own hands he formed man, and he breathed into man the the breath of life, and we became a living soul, the text says. But when you teach people that you're a product of some cosmic goo somewhere, some product of evolution, it, it tears apart that meaning and purpose. Why are we having problems we are today in our society? Because people are searching for meaning and purpose, and the world cannot deliver it. Only God can. This Tuesday will be the 18th anniversary of 9-11. And if I went around this room, you could tell me exactly what we were doing on that day when you heard the news. Let's remember those. Pray for those families. But let's not forget how it jarred us back to the true meaning of life. There's a country song by Alan Jackson called, Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning That September Day? Go listen to it. It's not theological in nature. Just asking those questions. What were you doing? What were you thinking? What happened to you that day? Maybe some of you sit in this room looking for meaning and purpose. 
Gentlemen, your identification is not... Don't let your occupation define who you are as a man. Let God define who you are. Ladies, don't let beauty and fashion and all these other things out there define who you are as a woman. Let God do that. Quit trying to find meaning and purpose anywhere else but in Christ alone. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you given your life over to him? Are you a believer in him? Have you given your life, everything over to him and say, here I am. He'll welcome you home. Perhaps you've been chasing other things and you've been running away. Tim, you don't understand what I've done. I can never do what you do. I'm not gifted that way. I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face. I'll keep saying, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He'll equip you for what he wants you to do. But he wants to see if you're going to be faithful and obedient enough to say, nope, God, I have no idea how it's going to work, but here I go. I remember sitting in seminary, convocation. I had no idea what it meant back then, but now I know it's the start of the academic year. And all these guys come walking in with all these robes and all this other stuff. Oh, my goodness gracious, God, I'm glad you know what you're doing because I have no idea what's going on here. Talk about being out of your element. But one thing kept playing my ear. Tim, I'm going to equip you. Don't worry about it. He'll do the same thing for you. Or perhaps God's calling you here to walk alongside of us as a body to serve this community. Continue to be the people that are living by faith, known by love, and therefore resulting in a voice of hope that's crying out. There is meaning, there is purpose, and there is value, and it's found in Christ and Christ alone. What are you going to do with it? It's there. You just got to pick up. So God, here I am. Don't have to worry about cleaning up. He'll clean up exactly where you're at. Just come to him. No one's going to laugh at you. No one's going to make fun of you. We'll come alongside of you. We'll pray with you. We'll weep with you. And at times, we'll laugh at you. We'll laugh with you as well. Humor is a gift of God. Sometimes you got to laugh. Otherwise, you just go nuts. What is God calling you to do? What's that tug on your heart this morning? Quit making excuses, dear beloved. Step out there. And as I told those kids, he will never, 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 never let you down. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. The observation that your servant Solomon noted back back in the ancient of days. Father, they're still true today. The world keeps turning. We are constantly looking for purpose and meaning and value. Father, I pray that right now you will burn on our hearts and minds. We have far more value than the earth could ever offer or even comprehend when we look at your cross, the cross of Christ. May your love and peace continue to be poured out upon your people here this morning. And may we respond in obedience to your call. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?